Intelligence. Energizing your email marketing with Kate Barrett. Brought to you by eFocus Marketing. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence. I'm Kate Barrett, the founder of eFocus Marketing, a specialist email marketing agency helping companies to use email more intelligently. For this episode of the Intelligence Podcast, we've got another masterclass for you, where I'll be digging down into a specific area of email marketing to help you increase your results. So today I wanted to talk again about data because it is so important. We've had a couple of previous episodes all about data. And in episode 16, we broke down your data pyramid. And at the base of that data pyramid, the foundation on which a lot of your data is built is your known data. So what I wanted to do for this episode is build on that a little bit more and talk about how you go about collecting and updating known data in your business. So like I said, in episode 16, we went through the data pyramid, but just as a really quick recap, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, there are five main types of data in your data pyramid each representing certain information that you may be accumulating in your business. And as we move up the pyramid, the data becomes more valuable. So at the bottom, we've got known data. So that's data that's collected from asking people information such as their preferences, who they are, their education, interests, income, company name, things like that. But you've got to be careful with your known data because it's very valuable in the short term because it tells you what's happening for someone now. But interests, different pieces of information about them can change in the long term. So you have to make sure that it's updated. Then we've got cultural data. So this is data that relates to differences in cultural norms and surrounds and encompasses your wider information. So it connects different products together. It helps you to know what type of products and services are most relevant to people in different areas of the country or around the world and based on those cultural differences. Straddling cultural data And your known data is your psychographic data, which tells you the why behind why your subscriber is interacting or purchasing with you. Then you've got contextual data. So this tells you what's happening for the subscriber right now, such as where they are right now geographically, what device they're opening their email on, current weather conditions, time of day, and then allowing you to change your content at the point of open with real-time content based on that information. Then Moving up still, there's behavioral data. So tracking your subscriber behavior on your website, through your different marketing channels, in your email marketing, what are they opening? What are they clicking on? What are they doing right now? All of that tells you what they're actively looking for at this moment in time. And then at the top of the pyramid is your purchase data. So what they've bought from you, when, how many times they've purchased and all of the details around that. 
Now, you can also pull this data together with your data analyst teams, with artificial intelligence to discover connections between those individual pieces of data and what might be next for that subscriber so that you can predict and deliver that content to them before they even know that they need it. This is all quantitative data that's going to come from a variety of sources in your business. So you can collect data, you can track it, and you can analyze it and pull it together to find that additional information. And you're also going to have your qualitative data. I really struggle with those words, so <laughs> bear with me. Um, but that's data from sources such as focus groups, surveys, net promoter score, customer feedback, social media. It helps you to understand your customer's voice and talk in the, the right tone with the right wording and connect on their level and bring all of the quantitative data, the number-based data, the fact-based data into real life and connect it to a customer. So in this episode, what I want to talk you through briefly is how you go about collecting your known data and most importantly, how you keep it up to date. You've got two main options. You can collect that data on sign up or you can collect it as you progress through the relationship with your subscriber. This is called progressive profiling. And of course, you can also collect data through your purchase and account sign-up processes. But for the purposes of this episode, I want to focus on those main two, collecting it on sign-up and progressive profiling. So let's look at that first element first. Collecting more data as part of the initial sign-up process. The first step in that subscriber journey with your brand is to opt in to receive your emails and become a subscriber. At this point, the most important action, of course, is to gain permission to send marketing communications and at least the basic data that you need to continue that conversation, primarily their email address. I also like to collect their first name or if your business is a little bit more official then their title and their last name as well. So that from the very first email, you can start personalizing and personalization 101 with their name and start to build that trust as well. The general rule of thumb when it comes to sign up forms of any type is that the more data you ask for, the fewer people will complete the action. However, those that do give you that additional information will be more highly qualified. So you'll know more about them and are able to better target them with relevant information. You know how close they are to being your ideal customer, for example. If you are in B2B, you'll find that you collect a, more, a lot more data on sign up generally, and again, it depends on your purpose, than you will necessarily if you're B2C and you're just asking somebody to subscribe to your emails. So somebody in the B2B world may be asking someone perhaps to download a guide and they may want more information so that they can add it to their CRM system, customer relationship management system, and they can lead score that um, client, that subscriber, based on the data that they've submitted, based on the actions that they've taken. And the hotter the lead, the more likely they are to then pass it through to the sales team. The sales team then have more information on which to actually communicate with that potential prospect by. So as a business critical strategy, you may decide in certain circumstances to collect more data. 
that's absolutely fine. Just know that the more data you collect, the less people will complete that action, but the more highly qualified they will be based on what you want your end result to be. So with all of this in mind, you need to consider what you want to collect from that starting point in the relationship that is going to assist you in creating a personalized, targeted communication strategy. What's business critical? Okay, so think about that. Ask yourself that question. What is the business critical data you need to collect from the start of the relationship and what could be collected later? So for example, if you're a retailer selling clothing, I would consider business critical information to ask whether somebody is interested in men's clothing, women's clothing, children's clothing, or a multiple of any of those options. This information allows you to immediately target the offers and information that you send to them, increasing your relevancy and in turn your results. I went to a baby and toddler show once when I was pregnant a couple of years ago and I signed up to the Tommy Tippy email marketing campaigns and they were offering a free gift when you signed up at the show. So it was a free mini bottle. So I was there with my husband and we both said, brilliant, we'll sign up, we'll get our free mini bottle and we'd love to hear more from Tommy Tippy to help us with this new baby coming into our lives and turning everything upside down and the different products that they have that could help to make that easier for us. So the sign that prompted you to go and sign up to emails and get your free gift was a picture of a a man holding a baby and obviously encouraging you to sign up to email. So we both signed up and on the registration form, I believe from memory, they asked for your first name and your email address. Brilliant. Signed up got the first welcome email. And again, brilliant. They sent a welcome email. That's fantastic. They welcomed us to the email program. And then they gave us 10 tips to become the best mum that you could be. Now for a mum, that was helpful, valuable content. Brilliant. It was a nice little read. But for a dad signing up or a grandparent or an auntie or uncle or a carer, that data hasn't been collected to make that content relevant. So for me, a business critical piece of information for Tommy Tippy to have collected at that point would have been, who are you? Mum, dad, uh, auntie, uncle, grandparent, carer, whoever you are, to actually specify that so that that content could have been tailored going forward. Now, my husband received those 10 tips to become a great mum and he unsubscribed from it. Whereas if it had been to become a great dad, he would have stayed subscribed. He would have received their product emails. And as he said in his own words, probably then forwarded quite a lot of them on to me to show me the cool products that they that they offered and probably gone on to buy something else as well. But he didn't. So think about that business critical information and what works for you in what circumstances. Intelligence, energizing your email marketing with Kate Barrett. For more specialist advice to help you create email marketing that gets results, visit e-focusmarketing.com. Now, you also want to think about how you collect that data on sign-up. There are two types of sign-up process that you can use. The first is a one-step sign-up process that most people use. So one form that when submitted takes you to a confirmation page and the process is complete. You complete all the data fields on that one form. There is also a two-step or chain sign-up process. Now, this involves submitting the first stage of the form, 
then offering the subscriber a secondary form or series of additional forms and letting them know where they are in the series where they can provide more information. The opt-in should be recorded after the submission of the first step and that form and the subsequent stages should be voluntary. So you'd collect your email address and your business critical first stage information on the first step. Then if you want to find out more information, you could say to them, hey, thank you for subscribing. We want to find out a little bit more about you so that we can tailor our content better to your needs. Let us know a bit more about you and then you can collect some further information. With both of those sign-up options, it's worth considering which data is mandatory in order to submit the form versus the information that's voluntary. That can also help with your form conversion rates. So don't forget, only collect the information you need and these business critical on sign-up. If you're not going to use it, don't collect it. And the more fields you collect, the less people you will have completing that action. But in some cases, that's okay. And that's what you want. So as I mentioned, how you present that email opt-in to your audience, including the headline, the explanation copy to entice them to subscribe, your call to action button wording, the color of your data fields, and of course, what data you're collecting will all have an impact on your conversion rate. So think carefully and test, test, and test again, same as we do with everything in email marketing. We've got a great episode where I have Tom Jepson from Footprint Digital as my guest, talking all about CRO, conversion rate optimization on your website, and giving you some more ideas on how you can improve those conversions, and more specifically, your email opt-in rates. So go and check out episode 18 to listen into that. I've also got a couple of blog posts that might be really helpful here around creating attention grabbing sign up forms and using pop ups as part of your placement strategy on your website. I'll link to those in the show notes and you can also find them on e-focusmarketing.com forward slash blog. Okay, so the second way that you can collect data about your subscribers is through progressive profiling. This involves collecting more data about the subscriber as you move through your relationship with them beyond the sign up, the next steps as you go through. This could be within the days after sign up, the weeks, the months, the years, collecting and updating the information that you hold about somebody. So there are a few ways to do this. The first is to send out a subscriber survey. Now, in order to get the most people to complete your survey, I've got a few tips for you. The first is to let people know how long the survey will be. Be honest and keep it short. Try and keep it under five minutes. Make it accessible as possible and easy to complete. Make the questions really succinct and only ask what you need to ask. Tell the subscriber why you want them to complete the survey. For example, to help make the email marketing communications you're sending to them more relevant. Don't send surveys too often. If you're always asking for help, people will be unlikely to complete every request and you've got to let them know what's in it for them. But I would recommend checking in with your subscribers once or twice a year to ensure your program is still interesting, relevant and helpful to them and update that data. There's another way you can do that as well, which is similar to a survey. I'll come back to that in just a minute. Make sure you analyze and use the information you receive from your survey. There's no point in encouraging people to take an action if you're not going to use the data that comes back. 
and consider incentivizing responses. So not only will this help to increase your completion rate of the survey, but you can also use the incentive to drive sales. Double whammy, amazing. So for example, if you offer a five pounds off your next order voucher for completing the survey, the number of people who then go on to redeem that voucher is generally going to be higher than if the voucher was just offered as standard in an email, for example, because they've actually had to take an action and complete a task to get it. It makes it seem more valuable. So think about the incentive that you can use as a dual purpose to complete the survey, but also drive a follow-up action for your business. And you can also think about how you might want to start using interactive email design to have subscribers complete questions and submit them directly through your emails. They don't have to click through to a landing page and complete the survey there. Doing it in your emails, if you can, and of course, this isn't going to work in all email clients, <clears throat> Outlook, um, <laughs> but this is really going to make uh, the process quicker, easier, and remove that click barrier, which makes the process more transparent and accessible. Just don't forget, it doesn't work in email, all email clients. So definitely consider what you're doing from that side and think about your audience. Now, another way that you can collect this data is a shortened version of a survey. So you can use an in-email poll. It's one question asked right there within the email content. And then the answer options given will be individually tracked links so that depending on which one is clicked, that can be recorded accordingly against the subscriber as their answer. Having an in-email poll offers a really quick way to get feedback on an individual aspect of your program, such as a specific email type or offer or update their interests in one area. So it's just one thing that you're asking within the emails. Now, I said I'd come back to another way following on from a survey that you can get people to update their information, and that's using a preference center. So a lot of people have preference centers, particularly post-GDPR, to manage people's opt-ins, but preference centers are a great chance to offer the subscriber an area to update their personal information, their known data, and make choices about the communications they receive from you. Having a preference center allows you to increase the data you know about subscribers so that you can create and drive more personalized, relevant experiences, offer them choice in what they're receiving. So flexibility and control over what they receive from you and when to suit their needs and interests. So if you've got different email types, for example, you could offer them the chance to opt in to different email types individually. You could offer them the chance to opt in to different email frequencies. So receiving an email every day versus a weekly roundup email versus a monthly roundup email. Letting them take control of the timing of those emails offering them a holiday from emails so they can take a break from communications for two weeks, a month, two months whilst they're away or if they just their circumstances change and they temporarily don't want to receive content from you. You can provide an alternative to a complete unsubscribe for those who may be choosing to stop receiving your emails. So again, giving them control on those areas and saving them from unsubscribing completely. You can offer different communications options to expand your marketing reach. So gain individual unbundled consent for email versus post versus SMS communications and why that's beneficial to the subscriber. 
and remind them generally what the benefits are of subscribing and receiving emails from you and why they don't want to miss out. Having a preference center, advertising it in every email, and perhaps instead of a survey, using that once or twice a year to encourage them to update their information so that you've got the most relevant information on them and can deliver the best content is a great way to go. Putting that into your welcome and onboarding program and getting them to give you more information post sign up putting it into your inactive subscriber program and asking them to update their preferences so that you can, again, better tailor the content to their needs as they haven't been interacting with your emails. Again, only collect information you're going to use to personalize, segment, or trigger your campaigns and offers going forward. And make sure that the options are simple, easy to understand in your preference centers. So those are just a few ideas of how you can go about collecting known data. Let me know how you do it in your business. And that's it for today's Intelligence Masterclass. Just a quick one for you today. I hope you found it useful and it's given you some ideas on how you can boost your known data pot and keep it updated so that it's the most relevant for your business and you can help your subscribers. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever podcast provider you're listening through. Give us a rating as well if you love these episodes. Follow us on YouTube for more video-based content and find eFocus Marketing on all the socials. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Intelligence, energizing your email marketing with Kate Barrett. Head to our website for downloads and show notes, e-focusmarketing.com slash intelligence.